Well, hey guys, thanks so much for tuning into the Harbor Teaching Podcast. We hope that the messages you will hear are both uplifting and challenging. And now, welcome to the Harbor. Okay, I am in 1 Peter chapter 4. I hear we're going to wrap this up next week, which will be great. Uh, thank you guys for coming back and sticking in, sticking in this series. Uh, this season between Thanksgiving and um, Christmas, or like the 25th, or Thanksgiving the 25th, the church, on the church calendar, they like to call this time of year what? So I heard somebody say it. Advent, yes. Advent. And Advent means... Okay. We've got some work to do. You guys are doing it. It's Advent, guys. What does that mean? I don't know, but it's Advent. It means coming. Oh, you're like, wow, I came to church and I learned something significant. You've been doing those Advent calendars for years, and you had no idea that the whole meaning behind that word was Advent. How many of you grew up doing an Advent calendar, like you opened up and you learned something about Jesus? How many of you had the Advent calendar that had food or had like something in it? You were really excited. You were like, that's why I like that calendar. I didn't like the calendar. Like, I'd go over to somebody else's house, and they're like, hey, we're going to gather around to the Advent calendar. They pull out, and there was like no peanut M&Ms. Like, what's the deal? I thought that was the whole point of doing this Advent calendar. Yes, it means coming, and it's all about Jesus coming. But it's not just about his first coming. Uh, it's also about his second coming. Advent really is the time of the, of the church calendar where we celebrate the first coming of Jesus, and we anticipate the second coming of Jesus. That it's not just about his birth, uh, that's great, but what we're really excited about as a church is that he's coming back. We know from Scripture that Jesus is coming again, that his advent is still uh, on the verge. It's going to happen. That's what we believe. But unlike the first coming, the first advent, uh, when he came as a mild, meek uh, baby born in a manger, the second coming, the second advent's going to look a lot different. He's going to come back as a conquering hero. He's going to come back on a horse, on a steed. If you read Revelation, it looks like he's got a big tat like all down his thigh about the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. Some of you got real excited. You're like, really? That's in the Bible? Man, let's do that. Let's all do that tonight. After Culver's, we'll go down. We'll get some tattoos all on our thighs. Got to get the full wrap. And some of you are going, no, I don't want to do that. Um, and he's going to come with a sword and he's coming in judgment. So from a suffering servant to a conqueror king. And Peter's gonna pick up on this idea of Jesus coming back uh, to judge. In fact, you probably read that last week where in 1 Peter 4, verse five, it says, they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. That is all about his second coming, that Jesus is coming. Now, I grew up as a child of the 80s. Yeah, that's a long time ago. And uh, when I was growing up, the big thing was all about trying to pick the date of when Jesus was gonna come back. It was, there was a lot of activity going around there. A lot of people saw Russia as the Antichrist. They saw China once they got to the Million Man Army. They thought this was the, they had actually possibilities to go down to conquer that part of the world. They looked at Magog and Gog. They looked at Daniel. They looked at Revelation. Some of you are into that. You, you, you studied terms like the dragon, the Antichrist, the millennium. When's that going to happen? Is that 1,000 years? Has it already happened? Are we in it right now? Is it pre? Is it post? Is it ah? Some of you are wondering what I'm talking about, but I read all that stuff. It's in the study called eschatology. Anyone ever heard that word before? What does eschatology mean? Study of end times. The study eschatos is last things. It's a Greek. It's a study of last things. And as a child of the 80s, it was all, in fact, there was a book called um, 88 Reasons Why the Rapture is Going to Happen in 1988. That was an actual book. It sold a lot of copies. Anybody know what the rapture is? What is the rapture? Anybody remember that term? Ever heard that term, the rapture? Okay, we don't hear about it talked about a lot. The rapture is this belief that um, the church is going to be raptured, caught up into the heavens. It comes from 1 Thessalonians, and Jesus is going to blow a trumpet. He's going to call us up. We're actually going to leave. We're going to vanish, and we're going to go up to heaven uh, before he comes back again. We're going to come back with him. We're part of the armies. That's, and if you believe in a what's called a pre-trib rapture of the church, it means actually there's gonna be a bunch of people just suddenly vanish and go up to heaven and you'll wonder what in the world happened, you know? And then we'll come back with Jesus at his second coming. So I was all into that. I studied that and the book 88 Reasons that the rapture is gonna happen in 1988, I guess they missed one because they came out with another book in 1989 called 89 Reasons Why Jesus is gonna come back in 1989. And then after that, nobody realized, okay, these guys are way off in whatever they're predicting. And it just goes to show you that what Jesus, what it says about his second coming, it says no one will know what? 
the day or the hour of when he's gonna come back. So it should give us rest and pause. It's not bad to study all those things, but here's where I've come to in all of my studies about eschatology. What I finally come down to believe is this. He's coming back, okay? He's coming back. That's all you need to know. We don't, need, we don't know the day or the hour. We actually shouldn't even be looking for the day or hour. It just is a waste of time. Um, it really, really is. Uh, and I should have just listened to Jesus when they asked him what his return will be like. Like, what's your return gonna be like? Should we, should we try to find out, figure out all the signs? And he's like, it's gonna be like a thief in the night. You're not gonna know the day or the hour. Have any of you been, ever been robbed before? Like, not like at gunpoint or mugged or anything like that. Anybody, anybody been robbed before? Like, you've had your house, were, were your house broken into? Yeah? Well, what was stolen? Were you in the house when it was broken into? Okay. Everything. That's, was this recent? Because we can do a collection. I feel bad. Okay, they already did. But they took it all. You feel a little bit violated, don't you? You know? Um, anybody else? Somebody else have something stolen from them? Yeah, what'd you have stolen? Car, TV. A car? TV in the car. Oh, TV. Okay. Ah. Kids. Yep. You had that ripped out. Yep. yep. And it's, it's weird. Like, I don't know how you discovered it. Was it somebody, did somebody like, break the window or... Ah, uh, terrible feeling. Yeah. Yep. I remember walking out on my porch. We lived in a terrible part of Dallas when I was going to school to get my master's. I mean, it was just a rough part of Dallas. We got a dog because you needed a dog, because you needed to have fear um, around you. You know, you need to make sure people knew that you had some protection. Um, and I remember walking out on the porch, and I was like, something's amiss. And I looked over, and I was like, something's really amiss. Oh, yeah, here's what's missing my grill. It was just gone. I had my car broken into, both, I, had, I had CDs taken out, and there's just that feeling of you never saw it coming until it's, until it's done, until it's over, and you feel like you just, you just missed it. And that's exactly what Jesus is coming back. His advent is going to be like, is that uh, he's going to come like a thief in the night, and we won't know. Uh, Peter picks up on this idea of Jesus coming in verse 7. He says, the end of all things is at hand, or your translation might be, the end of all things is near. You know, when you read about the fact that the Bible, the Bible, authors of the Bible had this idea that Jesus was going to be imminent. They, they had this thought, and when you're reading them, you're thinking, well, did they believe that he was going to come back in their day? This idea of nearness isn't so much about proximity. Like when Peter's saying this, it's not like he really knew that Jesus was going to come very soon. Because when I hear near, I, I think it's right around the corner. I think he's going to come back at any time. Uh, and, and you can kind of get ready for somebody that's, that, that tells you that they're coming and it's going to happen soon. Uh, it's, like, it's almost like when somebody says, hey, I'll be there in five minutes to your house. What do you t t typically do? If it's five minutes or a couple minutes, you end up going and cleaning up the house, right? You get ready. because and, and even if it's as much as you just take all your crap that's in your living room and throw it in a room and close the door. That's getting ready. You get, we've all done that, right? There's no shame in that. We've done that. And people come to your house and like, is that the bathroom? No, don't go in that door. There's nothing behind that door at all. You don't want to go in that door. That's not where the bathroom is. That's where our toxic waste dump is. We put all that there. You don't need to go there. So you get ready because you know somebody is coming. Whether it's five minutes, whether it's a month, whether it's a week, you get prepared because you know they're coming. That's not the idea of what Peter's saying here is that it's, it's come, he's coming and he's coming soon. What it means is that the, the end of all things is near or is at hand it means that everything is prepared for Jesus to come back. There's nothing else that needs to be done. What's the last words that Jesus said on the cross? It is finished. It is done. Tetelestai in the Greek. It is done. All things have been completed in the first coming so that the second coming is ready. All things today, all things are near, all things are at hand at any moment, Jesus would come back. That's what he's saying. It doesn't necessarily mean that the disciples thought, he's coming now, he's coming this week. It just means that at any moment, Jesus can come back. There's nothing that needs to take place in order for Jesus to come back. Uh, we are living in between the empty tomb and the future judgment. All that has been done, all, all, that has, all that is done, all that needs to be done is done. Sins have been paid for, and it's not about proximity, though today is a lot closer than yesterday. Tomorrow, if he, if he doesn't, if he tarries, will be a lot closer than, than today. A day to the Lord is like what? A thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. So it's been a couple days since Jesus paid for our sins, rose from the grave, and 
How long is it going to be? I have no idea. But what we're going to find out from Peter is, okay, what do we do to be ready for his coming? Um, What do we do? You know, when you combine those two ideas about he's coming at any moment and it's going to be like a thief in the night, you realize that a lot of us are going to be caught off guard. A lot of us won't be ready. And a lot of us, I think, I wish I could be doing something. I can know I could be doing something that I think would be great that Jesus would go, that's awesome, Brian. I, I hope that when he comes back, I'm witnessing to somebody. Like on the plane, I've always heard about those guys that sit down next to somebody, they start talking, and immediately that guy comes to the gospel. I've never been that guy that has led that other guy. I've always wanted to be that guy. I've never seemed to have been that guy. Either the guy has earphones on immediately, or I just don't want to talk to him. Um, I pray for those moments. Those moments don't seem to follow me. They follow other people. That's great. But I kind of hope, man, when Jesus comes back, wouldn't it be great if I'm witnessing somebody? Wouldn't it be great if I'm praying diligently for, for people, for people's needs? Wouldn't it be awesome uh, if I'm serving a homeless man at the moment that Jesus comes back? Wouldn't it be great if I was in the middle of a 40-day fast? That's the kind of thing that I hope that I would be doing. More than likely, we're all going to be caught off guard, and we're going to be doing things like sleeping. Most people, at least half the world will be sleeping when he comes back, right? You would think. They'll be sleeping. Some of us will probably be eating. A lot of us will be stuck in traffic. And that's when you feel like he's coming back. That's when you turn the Z back on. You're like, no, we're going to be listening to Christian music when Jesus comes back. You might be going to the bathroom when he comes back, which would be super embarrassing. (laughs) Cleaning, mowing the grass, playing Candy Crush. You know, when somebody asked Martin Luther, the great reformer, what, um, what do you want to be doing when Jesus comes back? Will, will you be ready when Jesus comes back? And he says, if Jesus comes back, I hope that I'm paying my taxes and planting a tree. Just the idea that I'm going to be doing what I should be doing every day. I'm not going to be thinking any differently. I want my mindset to always be the same, that I'm doing the things that God wants me to do and that I'm not worried about that because it's his grace that gives me life and I wanna live out of that grace, whether I'm paying taxes, whether I'm planting a tree, whether I'm witnessing, whether I'm going to the bathroom. What does Paul say? Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And that's what we should be doing ultimately uh, when we come and when Jesus comes back to us. Uh, I would love for him to be finding me doing something that um, is good. More than likely, he'll come uh, and find me doing something that I'm just not even, I'm just our normal everyday, everyday stuff. I hope he doesn't come back and I'm doing something that's against his character. But a lot of us probably will be, right? Have you guys ever had that moment where um, your mom and dad came home and they were unexpectedly coming home? Some of you know where I'm going. And you were doing something that was against their character that you knew they didn't approve of. What is it about parents that have this radar that come in, like come down, you're watching a movie downstairs, and they come in at the moment where there's a sex scene? I don't know why parents have that ability. They just come in at the moment where's the, where the cuss word, like there hadn't been a cuss word the whole movie, but they come down, that's when the cuss word is, that's where they show up. What are you watching right now? I had some friends over one time. My parents were supposed to be gone for a couple hours, and, and they talked me into watching some, it was some rated R movie in the 80s. I don't know if it was a John Hughes rated R movie, which there weren't many of those, but there were some of them. It might have been Breakfast Club, or it was St. Elmo's Fire, something like that. It's one of those movies. And I remember we were sitting downstairs, and we had one of those open, kind of two-split level, so you can hear everything in the kitchen. My parents came. They realized there were some, some friends downstairs. They didn't care much about it until the F-bomb was thrown. To which I heard my dad say, Brian! In that also affectionate way. And I came upstairs. He said, what are you watching? And I'm like, St. Elmo's Fire. He's like, what's it rated? R- you brought an R-rated movie. And, R- and all these teenagers, did you, you know, what are their parents? And blah, 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 blah. So needless to say, the movie got cut off. And bam, that, that, was, that was punished for the next month or whatever it was. But I wonder how, gonna, how many of us will be feeling that that when Jesus comes back, we're going to be doing something we know is against his character, we know is against his desire. And I would just say, um, here's the good news. Everything is going to be, be brought under judgment, all of our deeds, good and bad. But as he's coming, he knows exactly what we're doing. And he's going to come in grace. If you know him, if you have believed in him, if you have trusted and you are following him, he even knows that that thing that you're pursuing, the moment that he's coming back, even if it's against his desire, even if it's against his character, he's coming to graciously say, you won't have that temptation anymore. You don't need that desire anymore. I'm going to take you to a better 
place. So even that, there is grace. That being said, wouldn't it be great if he caught us doing exactly what he asked us to do? And that's what, Paul, that's what Peter's going to talk about. He's going to talk about four things um, that, that, we, that should be just a part of our lifestyle. That hopefully if we are living out these four things on a regular basis, it doesn't mean that we're doing it minute by minute, but as we go through each one of these four things, here's what I want you guys to do. I want you to treat it like a diagnostic test. And here's what I want you to be asking. Did I do these things this week? Maybe not today, but have I done them this week? Have I done them this month? Are they a part of my culture as a human being? Do I think in these terms? Do I live in this way? Because here's what I found. With each one, I was like, crap, I'm not doing that. And it just made me feel, just again, what's good about the Bible is that it's about convicting. It's about pointing me to a better way of living. And I was able to go, I wanna do that more because he's coming back. And frankly, I get lulled into sleep. I get lulled into this false thinking that I've got 80, 90 years of life. And that what do I need to do to prepare for my retirement? What do I need to do to get, make sure I have enough money in the bank? What, do I, what experiences do I need to have without realizing that what Peter talks about is that, no, you guys are exiles and strangers. This world should feel not normal. This world should not, you should, the, the greatest joy as a Christian should not be that I get more comfortable in this world. My greatest joy should be that one day there's gonna be a better world. There's gonna be a new heavens. There's gonna be a new earth and I should feel discomfort. Now, does that mean that you shouldn't enjoy what would get? Hey, every good and perfect gift is from the Lord coming down from him. So even the things that we experience is good, but this is just a shadow. This is just a shadow. So what Peter reminds us is, listen, the end of all things is near. So when Jesus comes back to judge the living and the dead, may he find us doing these things. May he catch us in a moment doing one of these four things. So we're going to talk about that. Then he's going to end with a reminder, just a just a, um, almost like a pep talk at the end, um, helping these folks that are going through some pretty tough times. So that's what we're going to be going. Let me just pray uh, uh, once again, and we'll jump in. Dear Father, we thank you for your goodness. Lord, um, I don't pretend to think that I've studied enough, that I know enough. I don't pretend to think that um, I'm wise enough or good enough to deliver your word. And so, God, I just pray that I could just listen to your spirit, that we could all listen to your spirit, and that in spite of me, Lord, that you would speak to each heart here. If there's anything that I say that is not from you, would you purge it from their memory banks the moment they leave? If there is anything from you, Lord, may, I, may it be planted in their hearts, may it grow, and may it help change the trajectory of their lives. We can't do it without you, and so I would ask your spirit to be gracious to us tonight. In your name, amen. Okay, the end of all things is near, or the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-control and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Here's the first thing. Will he find me praying as if eternity is on the line? Will he find me praying as if eternity is on the line? You guys know that there's a difference between praying with intensity, with fervor, with passion, than there is just, we're just praying, right? We're just and, and I, I know that sounds subjective, but it's like, there's like that old saying, there's no atheist in a foxhole. That, that's an intensity prayer. That's a help me prayer. Uh, when things go south in a relationship or with your parents, or if you've been through a divorce and you know in that moment where you hear the news for the first time and your whole life has changed. And if you're following God, or even if you're not following God, there's something about, I want help. I recognize that I am small, I recognize that I, I don't have perfect line of sight. I recognize that I don't have it all together. I recognize that I am limited in and of myself. And when we finally experience our limitations, we can't help but there's something about us having eternity in our hearts to reach out to somebody who is limitless, to somebody that has all of the answers, to somebody that goes, I need you. And so when Peter is going, he's sitting here going, hey, we know that Jesus is coming back, so listen, be self-controlled and sober-minded. Whenever you um, read scripture, here's what I would encourage you to do. Look for things that are repeated. I don't know if you guys are reading through 1 Peter, but this past week, I, even though I was only preaching in this section, I read the whole book. It's only five chapters. It's not that long. I probably read it 10, 15 times. 
just so that I could get what's the flavor, what's, what's Peter repeating, what's his theme, because he's writing to a group of people that are struggling, that are hurted, that are being persecuted. A lot of their friends have been killed, and their family members have been evicted. This is a, a group of people that are going through the fire. And he uses the word sober-minded or sober, be sober. He uses it three times, not because these were a bunch of drunk people, okay? It wasn't that. They, didn't, they weren't struggling with that. What he's saying is, I want you to think clearly and purposely. The first time that he uses sober-minded is in, is in chapter 1, verse 13. You guys might remember it. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Again, the coming, at the coming of Christ. The second time we see it is in this passage where he says for us to be sober-minded, thinking about the fact that Jesus is coming in judgment. The third time we see it is in chapter 5, uh, where he talks in chapter 5, verse 8, where you'll, you'll read here in the next couple weeks or next week, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. So in each of these three instances, he's saying, think purposely. Listen, you have, you have a hope in Jesus, so think purposely about that. You know, prepare yourself, prepare your mind to give people an answer when they are asking you about the hope that is inside of you. Think pro- protectively. You have this enemy that's like a prowling lion. Incidentally, that passage, I love that passage. It talks about how Satan is this prow- prowling, how do I say that? Prowling, prowling lion. When you think about a lion, you know what most lions, especially male lions, or usually it's the female lion that goes hunting because the women do all the work in that whole tribe, which is pretty much like most of humanity, right, women? Am I right? I'm just pandering to you right now, uh, so help me out. So there's a lion that prowls around, and they prowl around. Do they look for the strong? Do they look for the strong animals, the fastest animals? Who do they look for? They look for the weak. They're prowling around looking for the weak. And so what Peter is reminding them is, listen, when you feel hungry, when you feel angry, when you feel lonely, when you feel tired, halt, because there's an enemy that wants to take advantage of that. And too often, the enemy doesn't just appear like a prowling lion. He, feel, he appears like a little stray cat, right? And we feed him a thought, and we feed him an idea. And what happens to a stray cat once you start feeding it? It becomes a pet. And that pet grows into a lion. The enemy's gonna get us one way or the other, but he's not gonna get us if we are sober-minded, alert, recognizing there is a spiritual enemy that's out there that wants to destroy us that wants to seek, kill, and destroy everything that's good and lovely about your life. And so Peter's going, listen, be sober-minded, be alert. This world is not our home, and what we see is not all that there is, that there's an unseen world that wants to take advantage of you, that wants you to feel insecure, weak, lonely, so that he can take advantage of you and point you to things that ultimately aren't gonna bring you life. So be sober-minded. So in this passage specifically, He's saying, listen, for the sake of your prayers, be proactive in your prayer life. Be proactive in your prayer life. He just talked about judgment, that Jesus is coming back, and there are people that are far from Christ. And guys, this, is, this first one, I was like, I don't really even want to read anymore because I don't do a great job of this. I don't recognize that there's somebody before me that could be a divine appointment. There's a guy in my house working this week that um, is working, helping me put some stuff up in the house. And the Lord's been pricking my heart, like, are you praying for him? I know that he doesn't know Jesus. We talked about that today a little bit. Opened up my mouth, which I didn't really wanna do because I didn't wanna get into a conversation, find out about his life, and then who knows, that's gonna take me away from preparing for a message about Jesus. And the whole time's like, no, no, you need to actually be talking to him about me rather than just studying to speak to Christians. This guy's far from me. And am I praying like eternity is on the line for this guy? Is there somebody in your life that you've kind of given up on? Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's a family member. And it's almost like, yeah, I've tried everything, but they're not, they're not coming to faith. I don't know if they ever will. You think about Paul who persecuted and killed Christians. I wonder how many people were in Christian faith like, if there's anybody that's gonna come to Christ, it's not that guy. And yet he did. Do we pray like eternity is on the line? My neighbor Tim, Darren, and Kathy, being a part of my Jen and I's prayer life weekly to be able to say, God, arrest their hearts, and if you need to use us to do it, help us have the courage to open our mouth. Help me have the courage to speak life into somebody else's heart. 
Will he find me praying as if eternity is on the line? That's the first thing. Second thing, I like this one too. Well, I like it and I don't like it because this is a tough one. He goes on to say, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Love, keep loving one another earnestly as love covers a multitude of sins. Uh, second thing, will he find me quickly putting out relational fires? Will he find me quickly putting out relational fires? This is really, he's talking to a church, he's talking to a group of people, and anytime you put sinners under one roof, you're gonna get conflict. You're gonna get issues. You're gonna get, anybody, anybody have a roommate? Anybody, mar- yeah, you have a roommate you're married to, you have to be married to her, so you know that. You know that anytime you add somebody to your, all of a sudden, your house becomes imperfect and you're pretty sure it's the other person, Right? You're pretty sure it's their fault. You're pretty sure it's their sin. You're pretty sure it's what's going on with them. And what Peter is going is like, listen, I need you actually to keep loving one another. And he says this word earnestly. This word earnestly, uh, where it's found is it's found in the Garden of Gethsemane. And it's found when Jesus is on his knees and it says he is praying. And the word there is earnestly, praying so hard that what? He prayed with drops of blood. That's how earnest he was praying. And so Paul, or Peter is going, I keep calling him Paul, sorry, Peter. Um, Peter is going, I want you to kind of love with that kind of earnesty, with that kind of fervency. And, what, and the love word there is agape. It's sacrificial love. It's a love that's costly. It basically says, I'm gonna do what's best for you regardless of what it costs me. I can do that super easily when I'm getting something in return. When it, I'm getting some affection from you, when I like you, or when I'm trying to win your affection. I remember when Jen and I were dating, we were living in Thailand at the time, and um, uh, Bangkok is a real wet place. You have like, it's like, you think it's hot here. It's hot in Bangkok, Thailand. And you have three seasons. You have hot, you have hotter, and you have hot and wet. Those are the three seasons in Bangkok, Thailand. It happened to be hot and wet. And we went out, and we finally got to go out. We saved up our, our dollars. We got to go to uh, Tony Roma's. Anybody remember Tony Roma's, like a rib place? We were so excited to eat ribs. And, um, and we, we got into the, we got into the uh, restaurant and we ate and we left. And as we left, um, it wasn't raining. And so we saw it wasn't raining or whatever. We got into the cab and we came back. And the cab ride, it was like a 20-minute ride. So it cost, it cost some money to get back. And as we got out of the cab, Jen realized, she's like, oh, my Ralph Lauren umbrella. It was like this patterned umbrella that she loved. She's like, I left it at the restaurant. I must have saw that it wasn't raining, didn't think about it, left it in the booth. And, and I look back at Jen, I'm like, man, it's... It's another 20 bucks back. And when we were dating 24, we didn't have like a lot of 20 bucks going back and forth. We just didn't have that kind of money. And so I said, I, we'll just, I'll just get you one at the, at the market. She's like, but it's my Ralph Lauren one. It's, it's got this pattern that I love. I'm like, I'm sorry. Closed the door. Then guess where I went? Got in the cab. Went back, there it was, brought it back, and it was leaning up on her door when she opened up her door in the morning. Aw. That was when we were dating. The other day, it rained. And as we were leaving, Jen said, um, hey, I, I forgot my umbrella. We were going to the grocery store, and I'm like, babe, it's Okay. I'm going to get you pulled close enough to that grocery store. You can jump right out. You won't get that wet, right? Why? Because there's nothing on the line. I've already got her. I've already won, you know? I've, I've already got that relationship. I don't need to prove anything else more. There's nothing. So I'm not willing to, to cost, to pay that price to go back in because we're on, you know, on a mission. We've got an agenda, all that kind of stuff. I wish I could say it was just with umbrellas that I, I felt that with Jen or with my kids, that when something goes bad in our relationship, what Peter is saying is, I need you to love earnestly. I need you to go beyond your own ego. I need you to go to beyond what you feel like is comfortable. I need you to go to beyond the awkwardness, and I want you to move towards them. See, when things go south in my relationship with Jen, I go back. I go away. I don't know if you're like that. When there's an offense, when there's an irritation with somebody, is our natural inclination to go, guys, let's talk about this. I love you so much, and I, I hate that there is this distance between us, and we just need to figure it out. Whatever it takes, let's figure it out. No, what we do is we retreat, and we start building a case as to whatever they're doing is, is worth me hating them even more or disliking them even more or just going, it's just not worth it. They need to come around to me. And Peter's going, no, nah, I need you to actually put relational fires out it covers a multitude of sins. When there's a grease fire in the kitchen, what are you trained to do? 
to that grease fire? What do you do? What do you, what do, you do when there's a fire that flames up? What are you supposed to do? Throw it in the trash can, okay? It, it might light the trash on fire, right? Smother it. And you can smother it with what? Not water, exactly. You don't put water on it. It's like, is it baking soda? You put baking soda or you put like a, you put like a towel over it. Why? Because it takes out the air, okay? It takes out the air. What Peter is saying is here, when you love somebody earnestly, when you realize I'm not gonna keep a record of wrongs, I'm gonna pursue you quickly and, set and settle what our debts are, I'm gonna make sure there's nothing between us. It doesn't give air to the, to the flames that are going on between us. It, it smothers the air out of it. We don't do that. What we tend to do, especially as Christians, is when somebody irritates us, we create more distance, we gossip, we talk about them, we leave churches. That wasn't an option back here. There was one house church. And so if you didn't get along with somebody, you didn't go to another house church. There was just one house church. So it forced them to say that Jesus is more important than our problems. And we're gonna move towards each other earnestly to settle this because our unity is more important than whatever our problem is. Because our unity says something to the world about who God is. That even in the midst of differences, even in the midst of our troubles, even in the midst of our trials, that we actually settle things, we don't let things fester. Uh, two weeks ago, I think it was two weeks ago, I had com we had communion here. And I had an issue with somebody in the church. And you know how it says in, with communion, like if you're, not, if you're not right with a brother or sister, don't eat because you'll eat to judgment. Don't drink because you'll drink to judgment. And, and I remember Gibson looking at me and, and saying, here, here's the, here's the, the bread and the, the wafer and the, and the juice. And I'm like, I'm, I'm good. He's like, what? Again, I'm, I'm not going to do it. And so he asked me about it afterwards. And I said, well, because I have an issue with somebody. It's not resolved. And then that week, what was good about me telling him is that I had to make sure I actually did it. You know, I actually went in and said, okay, I need to, I need to talk with this person. See, I, what God is saying to us is that you can't be right with me if you're not right with your brother or sister, whoever that might be. If they're a believer, if they're a follower of me, what God is saying is that it's not okay. We're not cool if, if you're not cool horizontally. We're not cool vertically if you're not cool horizontally. It'd be like you coming over to my house, we have a great meal together, we eat and we start talking and... And you're just saying, man, I just love, that was a great meal. That was awesome, Brian. Hey, can I tell you about Gibson? You know, I don't know how you deal with his selfishness. Don't you think he's a jerk most of the time? Well, no, we don't. If you got a problem with my son, you got a problem with me. Let's talk about that. So what God is saying is that, listen, you, you, you can't keep moving forward as a church if there's all these little fires that are going that haven't been put out, that haven't been covered. So will he find me quickly putting out relational fires? Let's keep moving. Uh, will he find me graciously inconvenienced to help a brother or sister in need? That's the third thing. Will he find me graciously inconvenienced to help a brother or sister in need? Look at that next verse. It says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Now, I don't know if there was grumbling going on and Peter heard about it, but he's like, in a church that has going through persecution, People were probably put out. They probably had their homes, they'd probably been evicted. Their fathers had been killed. Their husbands had been killed. Maybe their wife has been killed. And they've been persecuted. So where did they go? Where could they go? There wasn't like a Motel 6 that they could go to. There wasn't shelters that they could go to. The only place that they could go to was a friend's or a family member's house. And if, if you were a new believer in that day, chances are you didn't have a lot of other believers in your family. And chances are your family probably disowned you. And so what Peter is doing is like, listen, I want you to show hospitality. That word hospitality means love for strangers. And it's gonna, and do it without grumbling. Because what he's saying is it's gonna inconvenience you in some way. You're not gonna wanna do it. Because you don't have a bonus room back then. You, you, you don't even, I don't even know if they had couches back then. Like they had, they, they had to find a way to make room in their small house for whoever needed help. They had to find food. It was, a, it was a big inconvenience. I hope when Jesus comes back that he'll find me being sometime in that week being inconvenienced to help somebody else out. Maybe that's inconvenience of time. Just talking to somebody that has, a, has an issue. Maybe it's inconvenience of money. 
that somebody has a need and it's like, I don't have any money, but I'm, I'm gonna give you, I heard that you had a need, so I'm gonna give you, I'm gonna help you. I'm gonna trust that God's gonna replenish that. Uh, maybe, it's, maybe it's a skill that you have that you don't have a lot of time to use, but it's like, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna go help them with whatever that skill could be. What Jen, one of the things that Jen and I have done, uh, and I wish I had started this when I was your age, we created a small fund called our giving fund. Because here's the deal, with, when people are needing hospitality, it's usually at a time when I don't have time and I don't have money. So how do I create margin in my life to recognize that there's gonna be divine interruptions? Because if you're a believer in Christ, there's not divine interruptions, there's divine appointments. God's gonna bring somebody in your life that needs some type of money or some type of time. Is there margin in your life to be inconvenienced for them, for the sake of the gospel? So we created a fund just called the Giving Fund, and we just take a certain percentage out um, that we put into that monthly just to be ready so that when there's some need, whether that's somebody that I meet on the street or whether it's somebody I meet in the church or whether it's a, a nonprofit that I want to support or it's some missionary that needs help for something that they've got a, a special need, that we can just go, we can draw from that. So I just encourage you, man, figure out right now, how do I create margin to be inconvenienced in my life? Because your life only gets more complex from here on out. The more that you add another significant other, when you add more kids to your life, your life becomes more complex, more divided, and more busy. And so if you're not creating that margin in your head right now, and like my life, my value, when we get married, when we have kids, we're gonna be a family that creates margin to be inconvenienced. We're gonna have people in our home. Anybody of you have parents that would just have people over, whether it was for dinner or for like after, after church maybe, or maybe like your house always had somebody in the extra bedroom. Like, they were, okay, so you, had, you, you guys were inconvenienced and sometimes they were weird people and you didn't wanna talk to them. And you were like, who, yeah, you're shaking your head. You're like, I don't really wanna be around these people, but my parents keep bringing them in. Why? They're being inconvenienced for the sake of the gospel. It's a great model to have. Okay, last one. Finally, uh, will he find us serving God's church in a tangible way? Will he find us serving God's church in a tangible way? Uh, look down at that last part of um, these verses. It says, um, as each one has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied uh, grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Christ Jesus. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. What he's saying here is, listen, until he comes back, not only are we praying with intentionality and praying with fervency, not only are we uh, not letting these relational fires just burn without being covered up, not only are we showing hospitality and being inconvenienced, but listen, while you're in church, serve. Don't just consume. Serve. And I, and I think what I love about this team, like I come in to this team every night, and tonight I was a little late because I was watching the soccer game, but you have like 20 people that are on your serve team that are praying for you praying for everybody that's here, that are opening up doors, that are serving coffee. You have ways that you can serve. Don't just be a consumer, be a contributor. I, if you ever, I don't know if you guys like Jonathan Pakluda. He's one of my favorite uh, preachers. He preached on this passage not too long ago. You can go to Harris Creek Baptist Church, listen to his podcast on this. He talks about how really all the gifts where you look in Romans 12 or in 1 Corinthians, uh, in Ephesians 4, the gifts tend to, they're not just exhausted. They tend, to, they tend to kind of group into two parts. You have serving gifts and you have speaking gifts. And some of you just naturally want to serve, like you just want to help, you want to administrate, you want to give what you can with your time, with your money, whatever you might be. Some of you, you think deeply about God. You love to ask great questions. You love to speak in some way. You love to pray in some way. You love to lead Bible studies. Where do you fall on that spectrum? And what Peter is going is like, I'm not going to try to pinpoint your gift. I don't know that Peter sent out a spiritual gifts inventory or survey. He didn't have that. He just said, listen, I need you to serve. Best way to learn how to what your gift is is start serving somewhere. Just start serving somewhere. And you'll find out, I'm really good at this. When I was 16 years old, I went on a mission trip. It was the first time with my youth group. We went up to Rhode Island, and I remember my youth pastor said, all right, I want you to put together the booklet, and I want you to teach on the IM passages. I had never taught in my life, never had put together anything, and I'm like, okay, I'll try that, whatever, that's fine, I'll, I'll, I'll do it. And I remember halfway through the week, 
And I was teaching on uh, the I am passages, and I remember these like first graders. I just at the end, I don't even remember what exactly what I said, but afterwards I said, How many of you want to become Christians? And all these kids raised their hands, and I was just overcome. And I said, That's what I want to do the rest of my life. All because of one trip. And so I would say, put yourself into a place where you can see your gifts shine, and then open yourself up to others to say, Hey, you're really good at this. Get somebody like Stephen or Larissa or Tara. Have somebody in your life that's going, I see this in you. Keep doing this. And then find ways to execute and serve that gift. So I hope when, I, when Jesus comes back, wherever, whenever that might be, he's going to come anytime. Will he find us faithful? Will he find us praying as if eternity is on the line? Will he find us putting out relational fires to not let the air breathe in the conflicts that are between us? And man, if you could get that now... Before you, you get married, you could put this into your head and go, I need to move towards conflict rather than retreat from it. Spirit, help me not put air into the conflicts that come into my life. And if you can do that with friends right now, chances are you'll have a better opportunity to do that with a significant other if God allows you to get married or with other coworkers, whoever it might be. Be a person that doesn't let flames keep just getting fed with air. Am I graciously inconvenienced? Am I serving God's church in tangible ways? Here's what I would ask. Of those four things, have you done those this week? Have you done those this month? Is that a part of your culture as a human being, as a follower of Christ? And I know for me, when I got that list, I'm like, I'm not doing great on number one. I don't like to be inconvenienced. That's number three, trying to serve. And I hope when Jesus comes back that I can say, Lord, I'm trying to do my best in those four areas. The good thing is he's going to be gracious to us. He's going to be gracious to us. So if, if you're looking at those four and going, yeah, I'm short on one, his mercies are renewed tomorrow. Start with that tomorrow. Okay, last thing I want to do, there's a reminder that he gives to these guys because these guys are struggling, they're being persecuted. And he says this in verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised by the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Now, I don't think it's any mistake that he used the word fiery trial. You guys heard that this is Nero that's persecuting the Roman church. You've probably heard that Nero would light Christians on fire, put them as lights in his garden. Pretty sick dude. So when Peter's hearing about that, I don't think it's any mistake that he's saying fiery trial. Because probably somebody in that church had somebody, a friend or family member, that had been lit up. And what Peter is saying is, don't be surprised that those things are happening. Now, all of us would be surprised because that's not our culture right now, is it? Has anybody had a friend that's been martyred recently? Probably not. But I think all of us would, be, would, would, would need to take from this an application of, don't be surprised that life is hard. Somebody once said that life wouldn't be so hard if we didn't expect it to be so good. And there's something about us when trials come into our life, when struggles come into our life, and if you're like me, I'm like, why, God? Why are you doing this? And I think he would say, because I told you it was going to be like this. In Genesis 3, I said life was going to be hard. There was going to be thorns and thistles at work. You're going to have relational confrontation with each other, and your bodies are going to start breaking down. So don't be surprised. It's like if your car starts going down a bumpy road, do you blame your car for the bumps in the road? Like, this is such a stupid car. I thought I just got the shocks fixed. No, you're, you're driving on a pothole-filled road. That's your problem. And our life, from now until Jesus comes back or until we go meet him in the, in, in the clouds or in heaven, is going to be a bumpy road. Um, I got a true story of, of someone that, just, that, this, that was illustrated to them in a very profound way. Watch this. This is Chuck. This is Linda. And one night, coming back from their one-year anniversary dinner, their car was suddenly struck by a falling object. <laughs> A 600-pound cow. True story. The couple was driving around a cliff outside of Manson, Washington, when the cow fell over 200 feet onto their minivan. The couple escaped with their lives by inches. Chuck said he didn't see the cow falling and didn't know what happened until after. Can I suggest that in marriage, 
Cows are going to drop. Uninvited, unwanted, and unexpected. Many causing heavy damage. Some of you have already experienced them. You know them by the names financial difficulties, rebellious teenagers, infertility, illnesses, or pandemic. And if you haven't, I guarantee you they are lining up on the cliff and you won't see it falling or know what happens until you're stopped in your tracks. The truth is God designed your marriage to withstand the heavy damage caused by base-jumping bovines. He promised he'd never leave us nor forsake us. So next time a cow drops unexpectedly into your world, absorb the hit, survey the damage, and then together, make steak. Mm -hmm. That obviously was for a married crowd, but I think it applies just as equally to us that there are cows lining up in your life, and some of you have already experienced them. Some of you are going through them right now. Some are going through job loss. Some of you are going through a, a breakup uh, maybe recently with, with somebody that you thought that you were going to spend the rest of your life with. Some of you are going through struggles with your parents. And it's really easy to look at God and go, God, why? 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 And I think he would say, because what Peter launches his epistle, with, his epistle with, he says, listen, you guys are strangers and exiles in this world. I can't tell you all the reasons why you go through struggles. I know that it builds character in you, but that's really not one of those things that's very comforting. But I do know this, we will have struggles until we get to heaven. So the question is, what's my perspective on these? And what Peter does with those, there's three, there are three struggles that we end up struggling with. One is just the fact that we're, we're just in aging bodies, and our bodies are going to ache and create. Uh, uh, it's going it's to just get worse over time. Uh, we have relational struggles. We have work struggles. We have struggles that are, that, are, that are here because of an invisible enemy. And what Peter is talking about is there's going to be struggles because there are unjust systems that are gonna persecute Christians. That's who he's talking to. And he gives them a reason as to why they're going through this. And he goes on and he says this, he says, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that, th that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of Christ rest upon you. You know what's interesting? When people ask all the time, how do I get closer to God? You know, the Bible often talks about the people that are closest to God are those that are going through the greatest suffering. Now, I don't want to be that close to God, do you? I don't want it to have to come to that. But when you think about when Jesus actually showed up or when God showed up in his presence in human form, it was in some of the most fiery struggles that, that people were experiencing. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and a fourth person, the Spirit of Christ. When Stephen gets stoned, he beholds the glory of God. They say his face just lights up. When you go back through the history of the martyrs and you hear people go through an unbelievable pain and suffering, they say that there's such joy on their face if it's a true follower of Christ. They're like, we don't understand where that's coming from. And I can tell you where it's coming from. It's coming from the fact that they share in the suffering of Christ and they meet Christ in the moment. Some of us are waiting for the right song. If I could just read the right thing, if I could hear the right preacher, then I'm gonna feel the presence of God. And what Peter is going, no, you actually experience the presence of God when you identify with the suffering of Christ. And so if, when you're suffering with Christ, instead of asking why God, ask God, help me see you in the midst of this. I want to identify, I want to rejoice because you have suffered far more than I ever have, and you're giving me the privilege to suffer with you. Christians, above all others, should be those that can suffer with joy. Why? Because this home isn't our home. This isn't all we have, and what's coming is far better. So as we suffer, as I did this past Thanksgiving, I don't know if any of you saw my, anybody, nobody asked me about my black eye. And some of you are probably wondering, he probably got into a fight with some guy. You should see what the other guy looks like. I know you guys are waiting for me to tell this story. I was playing basketball with my two sons and another guy that wants to be my son-in-law. I'm not sure, and we're not sure about him yet. The good news was that I, I beat him, and he was on the other team, and so I was happy about that. But he was with my 15-year-old, and my 15-year-old came in for a rebound, but he led with his elbow, and his elbow went right here. If it had been another inch higher, my eye could have been popped out just like that. But this was blown up uh, all this week. It's actually gotten down a lot better. Um, and, and after playing two days of basketball, like my knee has blown up. So I got an eye blown up, my knee has blown up, I could barely walk, I feel like, this week. And the Lord's just reminding me, you're old. <laughs> and you're a lot closer to me than when you were in your 20s. And you're gonna suffer like this and it's gonna get worse 
because I want you to realize that with every creak of your bones, with every falling eyesight and lack of hearing, that you're losing your ability to adjust in this world because I'm preparing you for the next. And when we are going through sufferings, whatever it might be, instead of complaining that we are suffering in this world, we should sit back and go, that just reminds me that I'm at home. And I can't wait to get home. I want to get home. And God's up there going, I'm coming. Everything's prepared. So while you're here, rejoice in your suffering. Pray all the more fervently. Put out those relational fires. Don't let them burn. Be inconvenienced this week for someone else. And if you're not serving, then our body right here is suffering. If you're in here and you're a consumer, and I don't care what your excuse is, I got too much work, I got too much this, I got too much this, well, then you got too much. I can tell what you value by what you cheer for, what you pay for, what you sign up for. And if you say you value Christ, then we have to value the bride. If you say you value the bride, then our job is to serve in some way, whatever that might be. Maybe for some of you, it's just gonna be getting up and praying every morning for this, for this church, for this body. Find a way to serve. And if you don't know, if you're asking, go ask to this lead team. I'm sure they'll help you find a spot. They got places for you, right? Okay. Thank you, guys. Let's, uh, let me just read this last verse, verse um, 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Our faithful creator is waiting for us to get home. We pray it comes soon. Lord, we thank you. Thank you for your, your son, Jesus. Thank you for how he loved us well. Thank you for how he suffered for us well. He gave us a model of what suffering looks like. Lord, may we um, do the same in the power of Christ. Thank you for Peter. Lord, as I just think about him and how he suffered to the point of dying on the cross, but dying upside down because he did not want to suffer like you. And I just think of how far he came uh, from cussing out a little girl that said he was a follower of Christ to being willing to be crucified upside down. Lord, if, if you grew him to that place of martyrdom, then there's hope for us. And I don't know how we came in tonight. Maybe this is a reminder, Lord, that um, some of us in here are fighting to make this world comfortable and doing everything we can to be comfortable here and now. And Lord, I pray that you would stop that thinking because this world will only leave us wanting more. Help us to want eternity now, to live for eternity now, to pray like eternity is on the line now, to love like eternity is on the line now, to show hospitality like eternity is on the line now, and to serve because eternity is on the line. And there are people without Christ. And so, Lord, help us to, to love well, to love each other well, so that others might see that example of love and want to follow the author of love. It's in whose name we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for spending time with us. If you'd like to know more about The Harbor, please follow us on Instagram at wearetheharbor. Also, if you need prayer, feel free to send us a DM. Otherwise, tune in next time.